Hey, thank you for checking out our sermons online at Coastal Community Church. We're so glad that uh, you're using these sermons to supplement your spiritual growth. But one of the things we're really passionate about at Coastal is that you have a local church. And so while we encourage you to, to make use of these sermons to supplement your spiritual growth, if you don't have a local church, we would encourage you to find a Bible-believing uh, church in your community. If you live in our community, we'd love for you to visit with us. So uh, we uh, are in Yorktown, Virginia. We meet on 101 Village Avenue, and we would love for you to come and check us out. We have three service times, 8 o'clock, 9.30, and 11 and uh, on Sunday morning. And so if you live in the Virginia area and the Yorktown area on the peninsula, we would love for you to come and check us out. So I want to I highlight something. It's going to take a couple minutes, and uh, I want to celebrate something, actually. Uh, you may not realize this, but uh, for us to pull off a, a Sunday morning service takes hundreds of volunteer hours, hundreds. There's so many people, and that's just the Sunday morning service. It doesn't include midweek, small groups, missions, uh, and many, many other ministries that we do and, and we are involved in. So would you do me a favor? If you're here this morning and you are a volunteer in some ministry or some mission of Coastal, would you do me a favor and stand? And uh, we want to thank you for your service to Coastal Community Church. We appreciate each and every one of you. Thank you. It, it wouldn't happen without you. There's a handout in your bulletin. And uh, so here's what I want to do to highlight this. I want to give you the story. And so, uh, so if you're here and, and you're not volunteering anywhere, like we need you. Like it doesn't happen without you being a part. And uh, so I want to highlight the story of one, one lady. I could, I could do many. This is Paula. And you're going to see how her discipline of prayer intersects with the ministry where she serves. Check this out. My name is Paula Dooley, and I do the uh, We Are Coastal class, as well as Pray for Every Home. Pray for Every Home is a program where you get emailed every day, five neighbors. And I think it's a list of 100 or 120 that you totally pray for, and it's, it's within 30 days. So every day you get to do uh, four to five neighbors. So last fall... I started the Pray for Every Home, and uh, at first, you know, I didn't really know my neighbors, so what I would do is I would just literally go out and walk the streets and identify the name with the address, and when I did that, I started picking up, you know, things about each home, like was it somebody that was uh, living alone, was it an older couple, was it somebody that had children, and I started associating that with my prayer requests. And so I don't, you know, you don't know who's, who's has a relationship with Christ, but you pray for either somebody that, is, that needs a relationship with Christ, to draw them near, um, just to find a church. So I help out with the We Are Coastal class. And, you know, sometimes you just don't know when your prayers are being heard. Just, you know, you have to be faithful. And I could not believe it, but the last We Are Coastal class, um, three people on my street alone attended the class. And when they checked in, I was just like, I was just blown away. <laughs> and five of the people uh, from my street are actually attending this church. Now, I didn't. I didn't ask Christ for the people to attend our church. I just wanted them to find Christ and to have a better relationship. So you still, you know, you don't know what your actual prayers are going to uh, 
I don't even know what the, the real bounty of my prayer requests are, but I'm, I'm sure, and I, I want to encourage others that to continue to pray. I would recommend serving at Coastal because there are so many different ways that you can help somebody out. So many ways that you can touch a person's life, and you you won't even know sometimes whether you're you're helping somebody out. But um, everybody has a talent, and my talent is certainly not uh, praying for other people. But if you just ask God and you talk to God and you lift your needs up and you lift other people's needs up. I believe he's listening. Pretty amazing story, isn't it? And uh, we want you to be a part of that. So uh, today is actually a third point this morning out of kind of a, an announcement that I want you to be a part of. Uh, if you're not yet serving in a ministry, we need you, okay? And if you're like, well, I don't even know where to begin, all right? Go to our welcome desk this morning on the way out. Bethany Lay will meet you there. There is a place for you to serve. If you're interested in pray for every home for Christ, go out to the welcome desk. We've got that information for you. But we really want you to be involved. And the second piece to this is if you're looking through the volunteer list, you're like, man, my name's not on there. It's because we don't have the best data on who is volunteering at Coastal. And uh, so this is the second point of this morning is to get our data up to date. So if you're like, man, I'm serving here and we don't have it in the database, let us know. Okay, go to the welcome desk. We want to get all that in, into our database, which helps us be organized. And the organizational piece helps us be effective for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay, so that's what we're after. And, uh, and so do that. And so great story. Isn't that a great story uh, about the answered prayer connected with ministry? And we would love for you to serve. So thank you, those of you who are serving, and there's a place to be involved. We're going to change gears here. We're uh, starting a new series this morning um, called Heritage. And, and we're going to do a three-week series. Myself, Pastor Joe, Pastor Andrew are going to preach it. And we're going to talk about uh, how we leave a spiritual heritage in our homes uh, and through our children. And so uh, if you have your Bible, turn to Psalm 78. If you don't have a Bible, hopefully there's one in a chair in front of you. Uh, I didn't even think to check this week. They all might have been taken on Easter Sunday. So uh, hopefully there is. You know the saying, this is where it's bad to be a pessimist. You know the saying, I know it like the back of my hand. Uh, well, as I, was, uh, as I was typing this sermon on my keyboard, it just dawned on me as I was looking down at my hands and I was like, who are those hands? Like, who do they belong to? How did they get so old all of a sudden, right? I was like, the skin is crinkly, and I've got, like, I got old person skin, and, you know, the veins are popping out, and it's no fun being a, being a pessimist, but I, I got to thinking, like, you know, uh, time goes quickly, yes? And for us old people, we would love to sit down with you young people that are raising young kids and go, listen, you know, cherish every moment, right? And you try to in the moment, but it's difficult. And, and I think we would all say, man, time goes incredibly fast. And so my goal here this morning is to shape your thinking, especially as parents, on what it is you're doing. And I want you to adopt a biblical worldview of raising children. And that the end goal this morning is that you will understand that you're ultimately you're, you're raising children to be disciples of Jesus Christ. And I think it's easy in our culture to lose that perspective and to think that we're trying to raise children to, you know, to be successful or to make money or to get an education and all those things could be valuable. But I want to challenge us as believers that, man, our end goal should be to raise 
children that are followers of Jesus Christ. I want you to see your parenting as missional and fulfilling the, the great commission of Jesus Christ. So follow along with me. We're going to look at Psalm 78. I'm going to pull three things out of this this morning. The first thing is when I use the term heritage, what I mean by that is that I want you to see your home as an opportunity to make disciples. It's an opportunity to make disciples. Psalm 78 verse 1 the psalmist writes, give, give ear, O people, to my teaching and incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from old. Things that we've heard and known that our fathers have told us and we will not hide them from their children. But tell coming generations of the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony with Jacob. He appointed a law on Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them. The children yet unborn will arise and tell them to our children. Do you see here the idea that the psalmist is trying to get us to think generationally? Generational thinking is how we should parent. In fact, I, I think Scripture encourages us to see our, our children as an opportunity to do generational discipleship. That we should be passing on the gospel of Jesus Christ from one generation to the next. As parents, we need to be teaching our children. Our parenting is really it's about the Great Commission. And if you don't know what the Great Commission is, Jesus said this in Matthew 28. As he ascended into heaven, he left his disciples with it. He said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. I want you as parents to see this first and foremost in your mind is what you're doing in your parenting. I want you to take time to invest in your children the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think as parents, man, we're, we're kind of letting the world steer us. I, I want to give you three kind of tangible things that I think you can do in your home to, to make sure that the gospel is being told from one generation to the next. If you're here this morning and you're a grandparent, this applies to you. Number one, tell your story. Tell your spiritual story. Make sure your children know your spiritual walk. Make sure they know how you became a Christian. Make sure that happens. Make sure that they understand that some key spiritual markers in your life where God was moving and teaching and, and shaping you. The second thing I think we can do in our homes to, to make disciples is to prioritize the local church. I, I don't have time this morning to, to preach a whole sermon on the priority of the local church, but you're here this morning, so I'm assuming it's a, a priority for you. But make sure your children understand the priority of the local church. I think while they're under your roof, you have the responsibility to make sure that it's a priority in their life. From In the Brown House, it's like... Attending certain things is, is not open to discussion. That, don't, that doesn't mean it's never discussed, right? I have teenagers. I ain't going, right? And what fascinates me about Christian parents is if your kid comes home and says, I'm not going to school today, what do you do? Oh, yes, you are, right? You dig in your ears. I don't know any parent that doesn't make their kid go to school. Yet, when it comes to church or youth group or Bible study, I'm not going to that. And we're like, okay, it's not worth the fight. Parents, I don't know what is more worth the fight. I don't know what we should be fired up about more than making sure that our children have the opportunity to respond to the word of God. 
And so at the Brown House, like, even as my kids became teenagers, there were some things that were non-negotiables. You're going to attend corporate worship. You're going you're gonna to go to our student ministry. You're going to be a part of the small group Bible study. You're even going to find a place to serve. There has to be a place where you're serving. These are the things that are in the home because these are the things that shape us as disciples. I believe that for each of you as followers of Jesus. I certainly believe it in my home. And so number two, man, prioritize a local church. Number three, ha- have some family training. And there's a million things to do. There's a million ways. I know different parents do this. But have just a couple soft moments. Doesn't, you know, I know some families do devote family devotions every night. Fantastic if you can do that. But have a couple spots. All right. I know Pastor Andrew and his kids on the way to school, they memorize scripture. And they're memorizing the word of God. In my home, I, I do this thing called doing book. And I have a stack of books. And once a week, I sit down for about 30 minutes with my kids. And they read a chapter and we discuss it together. And we do book. And it's just an opportunity to invest spiritual truths in my kids' lives. And, and, and will they get it? I don't know. Okay. But my, that's my hope. And that's my prayer. And I'm, I'm setting up disciplines and opportunities for, for them to become disciples of Jesus Christ. Number four. All right. Have a great marriage. Work on your marriage. That probably should be number one, but number four, have a great marriage. Make sure that they're catching the gospel being worked out in your home, in community, with your marriage partner, okay? With your husband or wife. And so have a, work on your marriage. And that's a whole other sermon for another day. But these are, and by the way, these are, it's not like a to-do list, not the magic pill, but these are opportunities to make disciples. By the way, I know some of you right now have checked out, right, because you're single, you're younger, okay, you're older, the kids are out, you're empty nesters, whatever. This still applies to you. This still applies to you. You should, you should be intentional about raising spiritual, spirit, leaving a spiritual legacy. You should be a spiritual parent to some children, all right. This past uh, Thursday, men's breakfast. By the way, men, second Thursday. Of every month, 6.30 to 7.30, right here, we have a men's breakfast. It's one hour, and it's excellent, right? And there's a, there's a, br- a brief teaching, and then we discuss the teaching around the table over breakfast. Fantastic. I want to encourage you to attend, okay? But this past Thursday, Jimmy Martin, one of our elders, got up, and he talked about having spiritual children. He talked about how he does that, and he talks about, he even had some illustrations. He, he, and, and by the way, is Jimmy here? Not yet. Okay, so, so I'll say this here, this service, I won't say the next. Jimmy's old already, all right? So he brought brought in someone older than him, all right, that had mentored him, all right, and you're like, man, that guy's Methuselah, you know, the oldest guy in the Bible, and so, and, uh, and then he brought in somebody that, that he's mentoring, right, and this young man that he's pouring into that, that's actually getting ready to graduate from CNU and, and, and go to a, a church in, uh, in D.C. to be, become a youth pastor, and so he kind of showed us this generational mentoring mentality that he has. Why? Because he has the vision of being a spiritual parent. No matter where you are, you should be leaving a spiritual downline and making disciples. 1 Corinthians 4 says this, verse 15, the Apostle Paul says, For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many, what? What's it say, church? You don't have many fathers. And the, we live in a fatherless society, right? And I don't, again, another sermon for another day, the breakdown of the home. But, man, but you can still be a spiritual father. For I became your father, Paul says, in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And I urge you to, to be imitators of me. All of us can be a part of having spiritual children. Titus chapter 2, ladies, says this. Older women, likewise, verse 3, Titus chapter 2. Older women, likewise, are to... 
be reverent in behavior, not slanders or slaves to much wine. They're to teach what is good and to train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Now, I get it. This is not a super popular passage. Some of you in this room recoil as I read it aloud. But here's what the heart of what I want to get at this morning. We need spiritual fathers and mothers inside the church. There's things that, you know, as me and my wife grow older, you know, and we're in our 40s now, and, you know, things that she does and and, and knows, and and I'm like, man, you got to teach some of the young families this stuff. Like, this is great stuff. So be a spiritual mentor. Be generational in your thinking, because the Word of God encourages to think about the next generation, and the psalmist said even the generation yet unborn needs to know about the truths of God. Second thing, I want you to see, like, what out of the Psalms, what are we supposed to teach our children? So if we're leaving a spiritual heritage, we want to leave a downline of disciples, of followers of Christ, what are we supposed to teach them? We'll look at verse 5 of Psalm 78. He established a testimony in Jacob. He appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children. So what does he say here? Number one, he says to teach the law of God. That's fascinating, right? Why does he say to teach the law of God? Pastor John, is this, is this an Old Testament temple? Are we, are, we, are we heading back to Judaism? No, we're not heading back to Judaism. Without the law of God, you're not going to have a complete picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I've, I've preached on this so many times. It's probably one of my greatest passions in understanding the gospel. It starts with an understanding of the law of God, which leads us to the character of God, which reminds us that God is holy. He is set apart. He's without sin and And our children need to know and have a reverent fear of the holy character of God, which comes with judgment and justice and wrath. Our kids have to have a reverence and a fear of God. The reason I believe in this culture that the gospel is not penetrating more, even out of our churches, is we're fixating on the love of God and not the law of God. Which reminds us of the character of God and the judgment of God and the justice of God. You can't know that you need to be, church word, saved unless you know what you need to be saved from. And you need to be saved from the wrath of God. Because you're a sinner. And until you recognize that your sin stinks in the nostrils of God, you'll never know that you need to be saved. So the author says, start out with with their kids to know the law of God. So they'll have an appropriate fear of God, and then they'll understand the need for the love of God, which is found in Christ. Which brings us to the second thing, which I've already highlighted. What do we teach our kids? Psalm 78, verse 7. So that, so we teach them the law of God, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God. They should hope in the works of God. Not hope in being good. I don't want you to, we're not, we're not trying to develop little moral robots, right, that check the goody-good list, right? We're, what we want them to do is understand the character of God and then set their hope in the works of God. And what is the works of God? Well, it finds its, its, its uh, pinnacle in the person and work of Jesus Christ. 
We teach our children the law so that they know their sin and so that they know that heaven can't be earned by their good works, but rather heaven has been earned for them by the good works of someone else, the person and work of Christ, and that when we bow a knee, we confess our sin, we bow a knee to the Lordship of Christ, His good works are now credited to us by grace through faith, and the New Testament calls this righteousness. We stand righteous in the presence of God because of the works of someone else. Hope in the works of God, the psalmist says. What do we teach our children? They should hope in the works of God. Which, by the way, if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ yet, like this is incredibly good. Like, when we talk about sin, I, I hope that it brings a conviction, but it shouldn't crush you if you know Christ. Our sins are forgiven. That's what the cross is all about. It was a payment for sin. Jesus bore the wrath, God's hatred of sin for us, so that when we trust him as Lord and Savior, we're now clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And we walk around in freedom and grace when we know Christ. I want you to teach your children. You ready for this? You can go home today if they're not here and say this. Cheer up, kids. You are more sinful than you could ever imagine. And cheer up, kids. You're more loved than you could ever dare dream through the person and work of Christ. I always think about the story of the rich young ruler. Those of you who've heard a lot of my teachings know I love the kind of fall back as an illustration. It's a great story to me, right? This rich young guy comes to Jesus in Luke 18, 18, and he asks this. And a ruler asks Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What would you as a parent do if your child came to you today and said, Mom, Dad, what, what do I need to do to have eternal life? What would you say? What would you say? If you've been in American Christianity, you would say, well, you just need to accept Jesus into your heart, right? Wouldn't, isn't that what you'd say? It's not what Jesus said. Check us out. Luke 18, verse 20. Well, you know the commandments. Don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. Doesn't Jesus know how to share Jesus? What's wrong with him? That's not what you say, right? It sounds to me like he said, be good. Hey, just go out of here and be good. You should be all right. You should have eternal life. Which, by the way, that is kind of what he's telling this guy. Only it's not be good, it's be perfect. Live a perfect life, you'll be fine. What he's trying to wake this rich young ruler up to is his sin. And so the man in his pride actually thinks he's done all these things. Oh yeah, I've kept them perfectly. <laughs> really? And so Jesus says, oh yeah, well one thing you still lack. Verse 22. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you'll have treasures in heaven and then come follow me. Is Jesus suggesting that this guy could buy his way into heaven? No, of course not. What's he trying to do? He's trying to use actually the Ten Commandments to reveal the sinfulness of his heart. He's trying to say, your problem is you covet. Actually, you've broken all Ten Commands in coveting, but you're a coveter. Your stuff has your heart. And until you understand that, you have no need of a Savior. So we teach our kids the law of God. And the works of God in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Which gets to my final point this morning. Here's, here's my prayer for my own children. I, I hope you'll go out of here this morning and you will pray this over your children. Our prayer for our children should be a captured heart. A captured heart. 
I pray that my children's heart will be captured by the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that my, heart, my children's heart will be captured and worshipers of God's son, Jesus Christ. Psalm 78, verses 7 and 8. The psalmist writes, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commands, and they should not be like their fathers. What were their fathers like? By the way, here we see a hint of generational sin as well, you know, as we're talking about a spiritual generation. What were the fathers like? They were a stubborn and a rebellious generation, a generation whose hearts were not steadfast, whose spirits was not faithful to God. I want to encourage you, parents, spiritual parents, Pray for these things. Number one, pray that your children will have a personal trust in Jesus Christ. Pray that your children will have a personal trust in Jesus Christ. Pray that your children will set their hope in God. Parents, let me challenge you because I've done this thing, right? It's very easy to set, even as parents, for us to, to, more than trust in Christ, our kids can hear things like academics, get a good job. Be successful, make a lot of money, get your college degree. We don't want our kids hoping in academics. We don't want our kids trusting in athletics. We don't want our kids trusting in a job. In fact, we don't even want our kids finding their ultimate hope and rest and finding a good spouse. We want our children to know Jesus Christ. And I think as parents, sometimes our prayers are, man, be academically successful. Be successful on the ball field. You know, be successful in job hunting. And in praying for those things and in hoping for those things, you actually may be feeding their idol, which God is trying to tear down so that they'll trust in Christ. See, there's been times in my home where my kids are into something and I have prayed, Lord, if that's keeping them from knowing you, strip that away as well. And here's how painful it is for me. I love sports. So if my kid's doing well in sports, I'm praying against my own idols, right? Oh, Lord, please let them be successful. Well, maybe the success is keeping them from the Lord. Above all else, parents, pray that your kids know Christ. And be captured by Christ. One of my favorite verses that I, I, I meditate on just for parenting's sake is Matthew 5.33 where Jesus said, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Here's how I apply this to my thinking and my prayer and my parenting. I want my children to trust Christ above all else. And I take this verse to mean if their hearts are captured with the gospel of Jesus Christ, then everything else will take care of itself. If their hearts are captured with the gospel of Jesus Christ, then guess what? They're going to date well. I don't have to be panicked about who they're going to marry. If their hearts are captured by the gospel of Jesus Christ, guess what? Christ is going to mold them into the best possible employee. By the way, as Christians, we should be the best employees. We should be serving our bosses better than anyone else. And so my my children's heart are captured with Christ. They'll be successful. They'll choose good friends. They'll want to be a part of the local church. They'll handle their finances well. And ultimately, they'll be biblical because they'll want to feast on the word of God so that they know the God and the Christ that they're worshiping. And they'll make wise biblical decisions. I want them to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, knowing everything else will take care of itself. It's our prayer for our kids. And so the spiritual disciplines that I listed out a little while ago where I talked about, you know, 
when they're under your roof, making them come to Christ. It's, listen, I, I just see that as opportunities for their hearts to be captured. And I don't want them to, it's not a spiritual checklist. You're good if you do bump, 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 bump. I see there's an opportunity for their hearts to be captured with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And while they're under my roof, I want to make sure they have every opportunity for their heart to be captured by the gospel of Jesus. Second thing I want you to see here is my prayer for my kids is that they, they would be informed and humble in their thinking. And so I get that out of this idea that where the psalmist says, I don't want... Don't, want their kid, don't, don't let your kids forget the works of God and don't, you know, pray that their hearts would not be stubborn. I pray that they would know the word of God. I pray that they would submit themselves to God and his son Jesus Christ. Stubbornness and rebellion is the opposite of humility. Which, by the way, when you're dealing with someone who has a stubborn and rebellious heart, that's why Jesus with the rich young ruler didn't say accept Jesus. He didn't say repent of your sins and believe in me. He said that at the end. That's why he held up the law of God. When you're dealing with someone stubborn, you just give them God's law. Until they realize, wait, I can't keep that. Now you're at the place of humility. But before then, you think you can do it on your own. I pray that my, my children's hearts will be humble to the Lord. Their hearts would be soft to God and his word and his church and church leadership. I pray that. They'd be submissive to the leaders of the church so they can grow in Christ. Finally, I pray this. I pray that my children would be, as verse 7 says, keep his commands. I pray they'd be obedient to God's will. So a captured heart has the overflow of obedience to the will of God. And again, I'm not trying to bring up, I'm not praying for more robots. I'm praying for a heart captured by Christ. But out of that, the overflow is, is obedience. By the way, John 8, 32, right? I want my kids to know the truth because the truth will do what? Set them free. I had a, a good illustration of this last Sunday night. We had some friends over and we were sitting out on our back porch and, and it was so Beautiful out last Easter Sunday, and, and uh, their, their little two-year-old was in our screen porch and was pushing on the door wanting to get out, right? And, and I'm sure this two-year-old was looking out at the backyard going, man, if I could just get out in that backyard, man, I would know freedom. You know, I am penned up in this little screen porch. And so as we were about to let him out, his mom said, well, just make sure all the gates are closed, right? Because otherwise he's going to get outside the fence. And here's what my mind went to. He's got this whole yard to play in. But if it's left to himself, he's going to go outside the fence where there's danger lurking, right? And so he can have the entire yard as long as it's fenced off, right? And it made me think about, that's what I want for my kids. I want them to know the truth of God. There's so much freedom in Christ. But that freedom comes with, here's the markers that keep you safe. Here's the pieces that keep you from destruction. I want my kids to be obedient to the will of God because their hearts have been captured by the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm going to close this morning with an example of a person that thought generationally, okay? You're going to meet this person in a minute on a video clip. <clears throat> um, for those of you who have been at Coastal for a while, I've actually used this before, but it's been a while since I've shown it. I'm going to show you a video clip <clears throat> of my wife's great-grandfather. It was filmed in the late 70s on a very early home video recorder, so it's hard to see and it's actually hard to hear. Um, but I want to give you, before I show the clip, I, I, I want to tell you about my wife's great-grandfather. 
My wife's great-grandfather, he pastored a church. He was a believer. He pastored a church for much of his life. He raised three boys in a Christian home. Two of those three boys went on to pastor churches of their own, and all three of the boys raised their family to know Christ. One of those boys was my wife's grandfather, who I got to know. His name was Paul Steffens. My wife's grandfather pastored a church. He raised three children in Christ, and to my knowledge, all three of those children are raising their families in Christ to know the Lord. Of those three children that my wife's grandfather, Paul Steffens, one of them was my father-in-law, Mark Steffens, who had three daughters who he raised in Christ, and all three of those girls are loading up their families this morning somewhere and attending a church to worship Christ corporately in a local church. So my, 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 my father-in-law has 10 grandkids that will all be in a local church this morning worshiping Christ. So going back to my wife's great-grandfather, and he has countless, I, I didn't even do the family tree, great-great-great-grandkids, these were his words that I'm about to show you one week before he died. Now I'm going I'm to read them to you because they're hard to hear, okay? And so hopefully you'll, you'll, you'll capture the emotion in the video. As he's, as he's celebrating his last week on earth, it's his birthday, and he says, I want to say, this is what he says, he says, I'm so overwhelmed with joy to see you all here. And he almost cries. And then he says this, and his countenance drops, and he says, I think this is my last birthday. Then his countenance picks back up, and he says this, he says, I'm going home to heaven with my wonderful Savior and my good friends, and I hope that you will meet with me at the feet of Jesus as we meet here this afternoon on my birthday. May God bless you and keep you, and I thank you again for coming. Amen. This is my wife's great-great-grandfather. I am so overwhelmed with joy to see you all here. I, I think this is my last birthday, and I'm going home to heaven with my wonderful Savior and my good friends. And I hope that you all will meet with me at the feet of Jesus as we meet here this afternoon on my birthday. May God bless you and keep you. I thank you again for coming. Amen. I get emotional every time I see that. Because I reap the benefits every day of a man I never met. <clears throat> a man who passed on something far more than money. I cannot wait to meet this man at the feet of Jesus. And express my thanks to a life well lived. And a legacy passed on. Church, our, our kids, they don't need more stuff. 
I don't even know if they need their own rooms. I don't know if they need a newer car. They certainly don't need the newest clothes. They need the gospel of Jesus Christ. They need us as parents to see godly heritage and, and making disciples as the focus of our parenting. And so my encouragement to you as you go home today, and I know it's not easy under the roof of your home and the pressures and the day in and the day out, the same pressures that I know that man had, that we have in mind that we're making disciples and it's beyond just your happiness and your home and your marriage. It's your children's children's children that can reap the blessing of the gospel being lived out in your home. I want us to be a people that have generational thinking the gospel of Christ would be passed down to those yet unborn. Let me pray over you as parents that God would bless your efforts in bringing up your children in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there's a, there's a whole world of enemies against the gospel of Christ. There's the world influences that are screaming at our kids that the Bible's not true and it's the opposite of what scripture teaches. There's Satan himself that would love to tear apart our homes and there's my own sinful nature, my own flesh, God, where I, I profess one thing and, and I live differently when I sin, God. And so in all of these, we confess our need and our dependence on you, God. And that video reminds me of the power of the gospel. You're, you're the, as we sang this morning, you're a God that's true to your promises. And Father, I want to pray for the parents in this room and the grandparents in this room, God, that there would be a spiritual heritage, that we would stop buying into the influence of the world and our homes would be an opportunity for discipleship where we would seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, trusting that everything else will be added unto us. So thank you that you're with us. You use, you use our efforts, God. Just incredible to me. Our weak, sin-filled, diff, you know, we, we do it in fits and starts. You use our efforts to pass the gospel of Christ from one generation to the next. Heavenly Father, I pray that some of the young people in this room right now that are sitting here and have heard this message, they would be raising up in this church body to be the next ministry leaders, elders, pastors, God, they're, they're sitting here this morning. And that this church would be in capable hands beyond our lifetimes because we've passed the gospel down from one generation to the next. Thank you for the opportunity. I pray that you'll bless these homes. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.